Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. I've got a bit of a head cold today, so forgive me. Our uh, 2023 sponsor kit is available on our website under the About tab. Um, I would uh, love to uh, have conversations with potential sponsors for 2023. We have a bunch of new content planned, and all of the information on that is in the sponsor kit. So if you know of a company that needs to reach client-side marketers and agencies around the world, do reach out and let's have a conversation. You can email me at hello at onstrategyshowcase.com and we can schedule a time to chat directly. So back to today's episode. This is episode number four in our series on planning for effective outcomes. And today we focus on writing effective creator briefs. So we're going to talk with Julian Cole about the challenges we face with briefs and their critical nature to, uh, to success. Now, um, too many strategies fall apart at this very point. If we just reflect back on our episodes to date, the amount of effort and investment that goes into getting things right up to this point is very significant. Research, conversations with clients, conversations with consumers, tons of background work, tons of invested time in getting focused on what the business challenges are, getting focused on how to manage our data, getting focused on how to think about our our budgets, et cetera. All of that and then developing our strategy leads up to this point. It leads up to the writing of the creator brief. And it's the transition from uh, the strategist and the clients to the creative teams. I worry that too many times things go wrong right here, and they go wrong because planners don't necessarily understand how to write inspiring creative briefs. So towards that end, we're going to be talking today with Julian Cole about the wonderful Get To Buy creative brief template that BBDO uses, I believe, worldwide. It's a wonderful, simple template that forces us to uh, to stay focused and, f- and keeps us away from things that may distract uh, from um, the um, uh, from the strategic intent of the brief. A lot of that happens in the types of creator briefs that are used in agencies today, where they're too complicated. There's too many silly boxes that need to be checked off. What I love about the get to by creator brief is that. It forces you to think in imaginative ways and in creative ways. And uh, it is a step beyond the strategy, and it is the most important document in the entire process and the most important document in this entire series. So I would I would encourage us all to, um, to um, learn this template. And now if you're already working with a brief that you love, that doesn't matter. That, then that's great. That's wonderful. But if you're not, I'd encourage you to check it out. We've actually uh, attached... I think it's eight uh, examples of a get-to-buy brief on our website uh, in, in this episode's page. You can see it at onstrategyshowcase.com. You, know, you can download the eight uh, examples if you would like. Um, but um, it's a really critical episode, this one. And I think um, I think we would do well to study that document and see if it does inspire us and, and inspire a new level of simplicity and imagination in our work. Anyway, I, walt- I wanted to uh, welcome back David Tiltman, SVP Content at Work. They are the sponsor of this series. Welcome back, David. Hi, Fergus. Good to be here. 
So it um, it certainly looks uh, like, as we look at the, the episodes to date and all of the work that work has done, that we appear to know a lot about the influence that sort of budget allocation, media mix, and, and time and market can have an effectiveness. And that plays a, a pretty key role in, in how people are determining effectiveness in terms of the components of it. But as we as we talked to Julian Cole about writing creative, you know, effective creative briefs, it does sort of beg the question of um, of what what do we really know about the role of the creative idea and what it plays in effectiveness? It's a great question, Fergus. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, so much of the research tends to focus on the quantifiable things, things like uh, uh, the media mix uh, or the, the budget. Um, and I think the way we at Walk have, have uh, looked at it is uh, we have this, this uh, concept called creative commitment, which is the circumstances around creativity. Uh, and then we have the sort of creativity itself. And those two things kind of need to work together. Plenty of evidence out there that, that creativity matters. Um, and it matters, not, not it doesn't allow you to replace budget, but it allows you to supercharge the budget you have. It makes your media buys much more uh, much more efficient in terms of the impact you're driving per, per dollar spent. So that idea of supercharging uh, the impact of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the budget you have is a really important one. So that top level, uh, we know creativity matters. Um, I think where it starts getting really interesting is when you start trying to dive into that, what types of creativity work best in which circumstances. Uh, and and that's, a, that's an area where I don't think there's, there's uh, a lot of great data. So we know, for example, that from Kansar data that humor works really well, but it's just not used as much as it used to be. And then there's the questions around purpose. When does purpose work? How can it work uh, as effectively as other forms of creativity? So we know creativity works. It's when you sort of dive down into the detail of the types of creative idea uh, and what circumstances they might work best in. That's where there's still a lot of work to do. Thanks, David. Thanks, Fergus. But first, a word from our sponsor. We're delighted to have Wark as the sponsor of this special series. Wark is the authority in marketing effectiveness. They help you become more successful across strategy, media, creative, and digital commerce. Wark will give you the confidence to challenge the status quo and fuel the innovation needed to take your marketing effectiveness to the next level. With Wark, you can inspire your marketing thinking, maximize the effectiveness of your creativity, and prove your business case. Their unrivaled marketing intelligence is used by the world's leading brands, agencies, and media owners to create work that works. To learn more, go to work.com. That's W-A-R-C.com. And now back to the show. So uh, welcome to this episode. Thank you, Julian, for doing this. It's um, it's a really critical uh, episode in the series because it um it can be it can be learned but it takes a lot of effort to make this and to be able to write this and do it in a good way you know you know briefs are challenging because we're constantly challenged uh, for what we write in them right because we have so many audiences for briefs and everybody wants to judge it so we've got to be able to do it as best we can the interesting thing is is that from day one we're expected to fill in the boxes of a brief and kind of a lot of strategists are just thrown into this role of, okay, you're now the brief writer, but they're never given the fundamentals of understanding 
what should go in a brief? How do I write a great one? What are the words and what does a bad one look like? And I think that education is so important um, to give you that strong grounding. So when it does go through all these different people who want to have their opinion on it, you actually got a strong grounding of why you've put the words you've put onto that brief. And there are many, you know, there are many different types of briefs, and we're going to talk about a few of them in this in this episode. But there are too many assumptions made within agencies and marketing organizations that uh, that creatives will solve all the problems of the brief, and that our job is to write it in the best way we can, rather than the best the best way possible. So I, I think it's I think it's important to realize that when we when we uh, when we talk about briefs, there is there is um, simpler ways to do it. If we just have some basic things that we'll cover in this episode today, that that I know through through listening to Strategy Finishing School and all the things that you're doing uh, and have been doing for the last couple of years, it really has simplified things a lot for me. And I came across the uh, the get the I, what at the time it was the get to buy brief when I first came across this, and when I saw that it was like the the it was like the the uh, the clouds parted and i was like this is the type of brief i i didn't know i've i've needed all of my career because i had been stuck with very complex sort of marketing oriented versus inspiration oriented briefs and it really did stifle not only what i wanted to say but how i wanted to say it and um so i'm really excited that we're going to get to go through this brilliantly simple format that you're going to walk us through in a minute and and to um and to sort of learn so much about how much freedom comes from it how did you first come across that, that this format so when i started at bbdo um i took on a role in i think 2016 as the head of communications planning i'd come from BB, bbh which had um, a different type of brief which was all around um, the zig and the zag, which I'm sure you've heard about in other episodes. But for BBDO, their core brief was the get to buy or get who to buy brief. And that's where I first learned about it. And I saw it being used on iconic campaigns like Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry, and uh, Pepsi and uh, Bacardi. And I saw how valuable it could be. The other thing I, I also saw very quickly was how easily it can also be abused. I think it's a bit of a, um, it can be a bit of a laughing stock, um, the get who to buy, because you can kind of fill it in with junk if you want to. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I found the solution. This brief's going to solve the problems, but they don't know the words that they need to put in there. So you can fill it in with absolute um, junk as well. The other thing, I think was when I first learned the get to buy, um, I actually wasn't told about the history and, you know, the, the reason, the theory behind why the get to buy works and why it's so effective. So, I'd, you know, I love, we're going to explore, explore that today and I'll, I'll explain why it's so effective. And I think it just has the bare essentials in it. That's what I love about this brief. It just has the information that you need for a creative brief and nothing else. It just strips it back to the bare minimum. And so I love using it. Um, I teach it in the strategy finishing school. I teach theory. I teach everything. I show lots of examples of how to use it. Who do you think 
uh, should write the brief and who do you think should approve it? If we're talking about big agencies who've got a strategy department, um, I think there's a dedicated person who's the strategist who should definitely be writing the brief. Now, the person who approves that is the strategist and uh, it's got to be the internal agency team, a three-way team, which is the strategist, the account person and the creative director. Now, I believe, I strongly believe that you never have to show the creative brief to the client. Never, 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 never. Yeah, I've you always struggled share, with that too. Yeah. Yeah. You and and it happens way too often. So yeah. the problem is, is if a client isn't, you know, the creative brief is it's got the name in it. It's for the creatives. That's your audience for this brief. The client brief is what we've signed off on. If, if there's a logical, you know, the, as we talked about before, the dominoes, if the client brief naturally falls into the creative brief and you can see the direction that it's going, then that's all that matters. And the account person should be that third person who can kind of sign off on that if they've been around enough creative as well. I'm talking about an account director who's you, you trust for their creative sensibilities as well, which is most people in creative agencies. So that is the team that should be signing off a creative brief. Now, what is the document that I share with the client is what I call a strategy on the page, which kind of is a little bit of a, uh, a mix, what I call a mix to the business, um, the client brief and the creative brief together. It's called a bit of a nesting strategy. So the way I write it is you write the business problem, then you show the consumer problem, and then the insight that unlocks the consumer problem and then the single-minded proposition or the brand positioning, depending on what you're doing, then the consumer goal, then followed by the business goal. And the reason I love to write them, it's called a, it's a strategy on a page. Once again, it's great because it's on one page. But what it does is it shows the natural progression. As I was talking about before, the dominoes, it shows what, what the business problem is and then how... Uh, a problem in the consumer's life is stopping them from reaching your goal as well. And then it goes into the insight that either unlocks the, um, which unlocks the problem. It either reframes the problem or provides a surprising solution. Then the single-minded proposition or the strategy line or the brand positioning. And then we go back into the consumer goal, how they're reaching their goals, and then the business goal, how they're reaching their their goals. And anyone can read that. A CFO can read that and say, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. I see the logical steps that are being taken here. Um, and this all makes sense to me. A creative brief is the middle part that's only the creative pieces. So that is the target audience, the consumer problem, the consumer goal and action, and the single-minded proposition. That is the get who to buy. That is all it is. Now, um, with with that document, that's the document that's going to the creative team. But usually with the creative director, they're getting the sign-off on the strategy on a page as well and seeing why I've got to the solution that I've got to. But the reason that we have it that way is because we're totally focused on the consumer and making sure that we're, you know, making advertising that's for them, not to please um you know, not to please the engineer or the product guy at a company, but doesn't have any impact on the consumers. 
So if you're if you're so you're going to the to the creative director with both the strategy on the pray on the page and the the creator brief format that we're going to talk about, right? So you're, you're, you're showing both for context, but then probably the get the get who to buy brief is what is actually circul- circulated to the creatives. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So with, with the, with the creative director too, and this is one thing that I think also gets missed a lot is that to me, when I'm creating the creative brief and the strategy on a page, I'm often having multiple consumer problems that I'm looking to, um, you know, there's not just one consumer problem that I think is the issue. Um, and there's often, uh, you know, the consumer goal sometimes changes as well. And, and they're kind of uh, changing a little bit as well as the single-minded um, proposition. Obviously, all those pieces are changing. So I'm never taking one, um, you know, creative brief or get who to buy or, or um, direction to my creative director. I'm having a pre-meeting with them and it's not written up in a deck or anything, but I'm talking to them about the interesting ways into this problem, what I think the problem is, and the interesting ways I think we can solve that. So that's multiple. That's, that's multiple ways. Multi- at that multiple, creative director yeah. level. And at the creative director level. The other thing is is is, is it multiple director, ways? Is it multiple ways into the sa- into solving the same problem, or is it different problems we could solve? Are we are, are, the, are the perception of a problem that we could create in order to get to the goal? It it depends on the uh, it depends on the brief. Sometimes it's multiple problems, and we kind of narrow in on the problem. Like that's probably the first thing that you know the goal's usually the same. The problem uh, um, sometimes changes, and I'm trying to work out what's um, what is the biggest problem, and we tend to kind of like agree on that. And I'm bringing in. Um, the research that kind of backs up those different points of view. And the, then how do, how the do you evaluate? Because this is really yeah. this is really interesting because I've come across this exact same challenge too, which is the, the client comes with the business problem and you frame that really well about how to think about that differently. The client is bringing the business problem and we're dealing we're dealing with the consumer problem. So the business problem comes in and as you investigate that, you discover that there are three or four different arguments that could be made or problems that you could solve. But the question ultimately becomes, how do you weigh which one would be the most effective way in? Uh, are you doing that intuitively, internally in conversation or uh, or how are you assessing that? There's, a, there's I, I don't think there's one way that you can do it. I can tell you three ways that I I do it. So, the first one is um, uh, talking, talking to the audience, and obviously working out and talking and relaying back. Once you've and narrowed in on your problems, I think there's always a benefit to going back to people Absolutely. and talking to that audience and working out whether that's right. Also, talking to experts in that field um, that you're you're working on. The second one is. Um, talking to the client and seeing if that's right with them like hey here's some things that I've been thinking about have you seen this is there any research that you're sitting on that backs any of these points of view and that tends to to help as well and then thirdly I think it's the creative director and account person and sitting down with the three of them and really trying to work out what it is because to think that we know that that, that there's only one consumer problem 
is um, it's just not right. It's not correct. The thing, the hard thing with strategy is there's multiple ways to reach yes. a goal. We've just got to pick which one is the biggest problem. So to think that there's only one creative brief or that there's only one consumer problem or one consumer goal um, is kind of like it's it's ludicrous. And, and, and consumer goals and consumer problems change over time. Like if you think of like just to make it concrete, something like Michelin um, tyres. You know, Michelin tyres, if we look at the very highest order benefit, so I, I I love the benefit ladder and I've got a cheat sheet in the Strategy Finishing School, which is the 24 consumer goals. Um, it was based on research and it's the 24 most common consumer goals because, you know, the problem we always end up, the consumer goals always world peace. So how do you make sure you're not at that level but a level down from there? And if you look at Michelin tyres, um, when they began Michelin tyres, the consumer goal was probably all around adventure, exploring, going out in the world and seeing more. That's why we've got kind of like the Michelin guide um, where they, yeah. you know, if you look at the, the creative, that kind of connects there to the consumer goal is people having cars for the first time, let's get them out on the road, let's get them to other restaurants. Now, um, in 2022, Michelin's consumer goals are completely different and they're different for different audiences. For um, new parents, um, it's all around safety. That's the consumer goal. How do I keep my family safe? For um, when it's your first car and you're, you're an F1 nut, you're probably wanting thrill and adventure and excitement. And that's the consumer goal that's driving you through a lot of your purchase decisions, um, specifically around your hobby, which would be driving. So you can see there over time, we've shown one based on time, it changes. You can see on lifestyle um, or uh, between consumers that it can change. And I could imagine that even a parent, like me being a parent, midlife crisis, I want safety, but I also want a thrilling ride. So you can see there's two consumer goals kind of challenging each other there too. So I don't think that we can say that there's ever one consumer goal or consumer problem for a product. Um, the other the other point that I'd love to bring up about um, the creative brief and taking it to the creative director is this is something that I often um, tell kind of members of the strategy finishing school because people have come to me and said, I'm having problems with my creative director. They're kind of like throwing out my brief or they're not, not respecting my brief. The one thing that I think is really important to understand is not all creative directors are the same and it's up to you to work out what type of creative director exactly. you're working with Huge. and see there's um it, it it sits on a scale right so on one side of the scale is the creative uh, creative director who loves to be um loves high concept big ideas um they they want to be involved in what I'd say calling the single minded um, naming the single minded proposition and the insight. So the background of Snickers is you're not you when you're hungry and that idea of that insight of being hangry, which feels very commonplace, but at the time was quite exciting. That came from the creative team. They kind of unlocked the. Um, the, the problem was there, the consumer problem was there, but they unlocked the way through to the single-minded proposition or, or the solution to that problem. Whereas um, that's one side of it. I've worked with a number of creative directors who are amazing at the kind of big idea. On the other side of the scale 
is the creative directors who uh, want all the pieces there. So they want the single-minded proposition to be really tight and they're great at bringing creativity to that solution. And so your single-minded proposition, I mean, you'll get who to buy, is going to be rock solid. It's probably going to be the one that you write is the one that's going to be the finishing product. And it's really important to know that because that's a totally different type of brief and um, pre-briefing that you bring to those two people. Because the first one, I often am bringing them, um, you know, more morsels of information, more insights, more different pieces. Nothing's really locked. I'm having that conversation with them. Where the second one, the second type of creative director, they want something that's more locked. And they're just like, I, I just need the brief. 100% locked so I can come up with the creative articulations for that that piece. And so understanding that and knowing that um, has resolved so many um, members' problems because they're like, oh, finally, okay, now I finally get it. I've got a creative, I'm working with a creative director who's more big ideas. Um, I've started to bring them just more insights and more scratches of workings rather than the final product and the relationships completely changed. So what about the situation that I think many strategists find themselves in, which is when the work comes back, it is not the way you thought of the strategy as being. It's been reinterpreted. Yeah. It's slightly off. It's not horribly off. Sometimes it's horribly off, but it's certainly not where you had intended it to be strategically. What are any advice in that situation? For sure. So I think the first thing is, is that I was there, I used to get my, I, I, I felt really hurt when I'd <laughs> spend all this time on the brief and then it would get kind of, you know, ignored. The more senior I got and the more time I had was I would then start to look at it objectively and say, did they beat my brief? Did yeah. they beat my brief? Because I'm only one person. This is now, they've now brought six other people, you know, a creative director and, you know, three teams or seven seven other people onto this brief um they might have found a new solution or they may have unlocked a new problem and i just take that in as a piece of information and say hey is this true is is this actually beating my original brief and i go back and look at the research and for a lot of times maybe it is and the great thing is is if you're working in a great creative shop you're probably going to get your beefs, uh, briefs beaten a number of times, and that's fine. Your your job is to find the creative brief, not to be, not to feel like you're the author of the creative brief. Um, you're just there to kind of shepherd it into being, and 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 the strategy that is, and the creative idea. And I think so I, I think I'm the other often, thing, the yeah. other thing, the other thing I think is important to point out, and I don't know if this is, has been true for you. Um, my my experience and from talking to other people is i think many times strategists feel that if they don't if they don't voice their opinion and, and make it clear in the creative internal creative presentation that's it it's baked and it's moving on there there isn't time for them to reflect and then come back later that day or the next day with their case um, have you found that to be the case or or do you or would you Think about think about it differently. Yeah, no, I, I've totally been in those rooms where you've, it, you know, it's moved so fast. Or the yes. other one is they show you the creative work um, the morning of the presentation, 
and you're like, yes. how, how are we meant to change anything? They're kind of tightly guarding it. Now, the thing that I've realized is that all comes down to the relationship with the creative director. So I often say, if you're not bringing the creative director into your strategy process, what makes you think that you deserve to be in this uh, creative development process with them if you're not willing to share yourself? And so the best relationships, and, and, and it is a relationship that you've got to form, happens when, you're, um, when they trust you, when you're bringing them into your process, and they will bring you on the inside to their process. And they realize how important strategy is. So let, um, let's talk about this sure because I, I think this is I think this is a critical point that's come out in this show time and time again is exactly this point, which is um, not being precious with your process, right? As a strategist that you've and as and as a marketer, uh, client side marketer, it's the idea of showing and being willing to show some vulnerability that and to be able to talk with your creative partners in a way that kind of says, listen, I don't I don't assume to have all of the answers, but this is some of my initial thinking. Before you've written the brief, before you've done anything formal to continue a conversation, even even if it's a, a creative who's very conceptually oriented or one who's just who's very strategically oriented, that that pays off dividends if you do it with humility and you do it early and you do it often. And um I think you're absolutely right. This is one of the most critical points. I don't think young people are being taught uh, enough about is that partnership, right? And it's and building that relationship is so important. I often say the job of a strategist it's fifty percent about the craft. The other fifty percent is about diplomacy and the relationships. And you know we're in a field where you can call it relationship building. You can call it call it politics. Call it what you want. We're in a social field or an agency where people are making subjective decisions, and so you need to have those strong relationships with uh, with these with the other people that you're working with with creatives. And I think the other thing that I often see, um, and I was guilty of it at the start of my career too, was the um, not understanding and not being empathetic for the cause of creatives. I'll tell you my biggest mistake um, that I had and when I kind of got a bit of a reality check of, hey, pull your head in, Julian, you're, you, you're, you're getting too hurt um, and this is there's a reason why things are going this way. So I used to get really hurt because I was trying to bring in innovative work and I would say on the brief, the client has asked for no TV on this work. Um, and what would come back would be <laughs> TV scripts. And I would get furious. I'm like, why are the creatives doing this? They just don't respect me. And, you know, we're going to get in trouble with the client, blah, 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 blah. And what I realized after a while was uh, for a lot of creatives, and you, uh, for a lot of creatives, the t TV script is the easiest way to articulate the actual creative idea. They're not actually writing the TV script, even if you say, hey, we're just trying to get, you know, they're going to have big ideas. They need to write the TV script to get to the um, to the articulation. That is what TV scripts are. They evaluate the idea in its essence, and then you can jump off into all the other executions that you want to do. And once I understood that, it gave me a lot more, ah, oh, okay, 
So they just need this to get to the idea. So that gave me a lot of empathy. The second thing that gave me a lot of empathy is in strategy, we're never going to lose our job if we have a year where we don't make work. So when I moved to America for the first year and a half, I had no live work in the market. And this is coming from Australia where I had, you know, 16 campaigns go live. That didn't really impact my career trajectory at all. I was able to keep getting promoted and and, um, become more senior. For a creative, if you don't make work for um, 18 months, your career is in jeopardy. If you don't win awards um, and make award-winning work, you are not going forward. Your career potentially is plateauing or you're not going to get those opportunities to keep um, getting promoted or getting to the agencies that you really want to get to. And so understanding that for, for creatives, awards are signals of success. Now, I know awards are very um, contentious, but they're so important for attracting the best creative talent to an organization. And so if you're a creative and you're not making work for 18 months and nothing's award-winning, that's your livelihood. You might have to go back to another job. Understanding that and having empathy for their position uh, really helped me become a way better strategist and try to get on the page with them. And that relationship formed better and I was able to make better briefs and make better work. So let's dive into let's dive into the get who to buy brief format. So for the sake of time, we're just going to assume that everybody knows that the brief that they're currently working within sucks. It's too complicated. It's got challenges. It isn't delivering for them in the way that they want, meaning that it's not being interpreted in the way that they want. It's being misinterpreted or the single-mindedness of it is being lost because in large part of the format. Now, I've always I've always believed in this, that with, uh, with creative brief formats that I've worked with in the past, as I was coming up, there was this sort of formality to it. Introduction, objective, target audience, key message, brand personality, mandatories, all these sections. And as a strategist, I always found that difficult to fill out because I found that I was having to answer questions that were sort of diluting my intent and the and the sort of succinctness of what I wanted to share. And that's what I've always loved about, about the get who to buy brief is because it allowed me to immediately jump to something that was meaningful with language that was conversational. So for the if you have a brief that you're working with, brilliant, go ahead. But I think most people are struggling with it. So let's talk about the basic framework of uh, get who to buy. Ideally, this entire brief is four to five sentences, right? This is not a long two multiple page document. Anytime I've used it, I've been able to get um, get it done in three or four sentences. So that's what we're that's what we're shooting for ideally. Yep, correct. And just if there's extra information that there often is because you want to give the business case, um, I always say uh, a strategist's best friend is the appendix. Put yeah, all this stuff in conversation. the appendix, keep this one page. Yeah. Or conversation. Yeah, great point. The get is the uh, consumer. The who is the consumer problem. The two is the consumer goal. And the buy is the single-minded proposition or the solution that unlocks the way they get around the goal, uh, around the problem to the goal. 
as we get into this format for forget who to buy uh, the beauty of it is its simplicity. So uh, rather than go through each of the sections of the brief, why don't you just give us a couple of examples of this brief format, and then you can sort of jump around uh, each of them, sort of emphasizing what the key points are to keep in mind. An example for you would be a Get Who To Buy for Cheetos. They were launching Cheetos popcorn, and they had this Super Bowl ad, which was uh, with NC Hammer, you can't touch this. Yeah, and great. I think what they uh, what they tapped into is what I think was a surprising solution to a problem. So they get who to buy. I might have read something like get Gen Z snackers who are feeling pressure to optimize every minute to feel relaxed in a world of worry by seeing Cheeto that the Cheetos dusk gives them the perfect alibi to do nothing. So, so one more me, time, read, read that back again, if you would, please. Get Gen Z snackers who are feeling pressure to optimize every minute to feel relaxed in a world full of worry by seeing that Cheetos dust gives them the perfect alibi to do nothing. Love it. Love so it. So here we've got the get is the get is Gen Z snackers. So it's kind of a broad audience here, but we're kind of narrowing in on who we think this audience is. Um, it's a younger generation who are going to be snacking. The problem statement is probably where we start to really um, feel this uh, the, the the magic that comes out of this brief, which was if you look at where culture was heading, was we were kind of in a moment where it was all hustle culture, where it was about optimizing every single minute. So it's like Gary V. Um, what's your side hustle? Yeah. And the world was going towards this. And what I think they realized, and Cheetos was the first, was what we often see with culture is swings that go e either way, or it's a bit of a seesaw. Um, on one side, it's like optimization, let's make go really hard. And then on the other side, it's like relax. And we see it kind of tipping either way. And I think what Cheetos did, uh, Cheetos did, which was really great, was they realized that there was this stress and anxiety that young people were feeling. And their product actually provided a surprising solution to the problem. So having Cheetos dust on your hands means that you can't actually do anything with your snacking time. So you actually just have to enjoy the snack by yourself. You can't help your friends move. You can't spot your friends at the gym. You can't um, type that email. And so Cheetos Dust actually gave you the space to just make sure that your snack time was just about snacking. So I think there... So what part of have, part of that was part of that was the idea that probably that I, I've got to I've got to guess that that Cheetos uh, eaters have often been sort of criticized by or harassed by uh, members of their family to not touch anything with those damn hands until you wash them, right? So yeah. so this is recognizing that this was sort of a a a, a sort of a result of eating this. It was very visually there on your hand. Now it was, and, and so one of the ways in to your points earlier would have been: Do we do something with the the fact that you end up with these stained fingers? And how are people, how are people currently dealing with that in everyday life? Yeah, that was that was probably one way in, right? And there was probably other ones, but this is the one you picked. And so here, what we've done is 
we've provided what I call like an insight does one of two things. It reframes a problem or it provides a surprising solution. Here we're providing a surprising solution. I don't think anyone would have associated, um, you know, Cheetos dust as being something great, like a positive. They've taken a negative about the product and, and turned it into a positive of being giving you an alibi to do nothing or an excuse to, to just relax. And so to me, that's what a lot of this work has. It's it's countering what the common held belief is. I hate to ask you to do this a third time. Can you, again, read the Cheetos brief out by get who to buy? Get Gen Z snackers who are feeling pressure to optimize every minute to feel relaxed in a world of worry by seeing that Cheetos dust gives and the perfect alibi to do nothing. I so, love that. Yeah, so great. Here, the other thing is, is when we think about the consumer goals, um, here, a consumer goal is often relaxation. You know, there's anxiety, a lot of stress in the world. How do we relax? And so there we've got to, to the final state, which is the consumer goal, which was one of our kind of 24 main consumer goals. So, you know, it's interesting. While we're having this conversation, I was... It, it reminded me of the fact that for season one of this show, I did a document, and I'm going to link this to the episode page, but I took each of the episodes and I retrofitted them into the get to by brief format. And I use it a little bit differently because I sort of put an insight at the top, and that's the way I used to use get to by. I would put an insight at the top and then I would map it out. But I think they're they're good examples, and we'll post these on the episode page so everybody can can look at them, and hopefully they'll fire up some some inspiration. Um, but one of them is Love's Diapers. A couple of years ago, they did this terrific campaign, and the it was all about um, it was all about experienced mothers and the fact that first time moms aren't as confident as uh, more experienced moms. And this was a campaign built around that observation. And so the observation or the insight was that the pressure first-time moms feel to do everything right is something experienced moms no longer buy into. And the get-to-buy was get parents who are confident in their own parenting skills to see loves as the choice of experienced moms by showing them that by their second child, every mom's an expert. I think I'll, I'll post a number of these up on the website. There's also, the last one I'll share is Beats by Dre, uh, which is based upon an, an episode I did with Simon Wasif. It was actually the first episode we ever did on this show. But the observation was um, um, that uh, headphones don't just allow you to listen, they allow you to focus. That was sort of the insider observation. And the get to buy was get people who question the basic headsets that come with their devices to recognize the value and improved experience of premium quality headphones by showing them that Beats noise canceling technology helps drown out life's distractions, allowing you to stay focused and perform at your best. It's a little wordy there, obviously, but but it sort of begins to sort of I, I think frame up the, the the fact that the get the get who to by format allows you to be so simple and to use and to be so powerful and succinct that I think it it allows a, a picture to be painted in the mind of the listener or to of the reader, and that's what traditional briefs have, in my opinion, not done well. 
they get your brain focused on business issues and business problems uh, without recognizing that as a creative person you need to be you need to be inspired you need to be oriented towards things that help you visualize things or imagine things or be ambitious about things and that's what i think the um the get who to buy brief does i love that i th- i think you i think you've articulated it uh perfectly there of like it's orientating it around the consumer where too many creative briefs are orientated around the business problem and all these business words where you're not actually giving the creatives anything to jump off. And that's the biggest problem. We're we're talking too much about the business where the creative brief should be talking about the audience you're trying to sell to, the consumer, and understanding their problems and how this product is going to solve their their solution. The hero of this is the consumer and the supporting role is the product or the brand. Where in the client brief, the hero is the product and the supporting role is the consumer. Um, I think that's just a really good articulation. And then with the uh, uh, the Beats by Dre example, I love that. I would even, um, and you know, it depends because I think the the brief you wrote is is good for a part where someone's interested in you know, they're about to make that purchase. But I could also see uh, another brief being around people who are, are struggling to get that focus and yes. and seeing that that, music, that that headphones can be that focus, like in a world, because I, I saw there's another um, ad that I often look at for JBL, which is uh, some headphones on and then all these people screaming. There's there's a famous one where Kim Jong-il's on one side and Donald Trump is shouting <laughs> yeah, and people right. have got these headphones on their head. And the problem there is the outside world is such a distraction. It's not allowing them to be who they want to be. They want to be focused. They don't want to be reading all this bullshit online or listening to all these conversations. And so that was all around calmness when the outside world's completely chaotic. It allows you to control the world. Um, around you and so I think getting to those places are are, are really important and showing how that's a key to the consumer's problem versus um, the other perspective. So Julian, uh, great having this conversation. I know that uh, Strategy Finishing School has been up for a couple of years now. It's been doing brilliant things. I'm, I follow all of your content and love to read it. I love the simplicity of it and I love the way and your personal style and the way you explain it. Uh, tell us, tell us about where people can find Strategy Finishing School and uh, basically a sense of, of what the experience is like for, for people who join. Strategyfinishingschool.com. Um, we've had over 3,500 members sign up, which is great. And so what it really tries to do is give people that classical training in strategy and give you the foundations and theory to kind of jump off. And it, I've noticed and I hear it time and time again from people, it's just like it's giving them the confidence to go into any room and bigger and bigger rooms and get bigger and bigger titles because they've got confidence in their strategy now. They know this is being tested, it's being used on world-class kind of campaigns, and it's all practical knowledge. The way people use that is it's kind of like dip in. So when they've got a problem and they're um, like, I don't know, someone's asking me to do a consumer journey workshop for the client on Monday, um, then they can go into the strategy finishing school, find 
the deck which speaks about how to run a consumer journey workshop, watch the video on it, steal the slides and kind of run that on Monday. Yeah. And I'd love to, if anyone's listened to this and been inspired, I'd love to, I love on strategy and what you're doing here. So I'd love to set up for the next month, a discount code, but I'd love to give $500 off for your listeners. So 25% Brilliant. off. Brilliant. Um, if they use the code on strategy and we'll put that on your website as well um, so they can use that because um, yeah I'd love to love to offer that and I think what you're doing is great here too Fergus. It's uh, Julian Cole he is a strategy trainer and uh, founder of Strategy Finishing School he's in Australia uh, formerly he was here working in the US. Julian man thank you so much for your time and we'll see everybody on the next episode.